What if everything you thought of health and wellness suddenly changed due to a hidden breathing problem that you were unaware of that affects every system in your body? Improper breathing habits are often overlooked in medicine. I'm Dr. Jenny from the Hobson Institute, and this is The Breathing Lab. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Jenny Hobson and Dr. Arthur Cortez. Hi. We're here to interview a dear friend and colleague, uh, uh, Cynthia Stein, physical therapist. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. I was just at Cindy's course online program. It was so exciting. So I cannot wait for this interview. So let's start it. <laughs> okay. Thanks I'm going to just time. briefly say um, a little bit about who Cynthia is. Uh, Cynthia Stein graduated from the University of Pittsburgh with a BS in physical therapy and from Temple University with a master's in education. She served as a commissioned officer in the U.S. Navy as a staff physical therapist at Annapolis Naval Hospital and then served as a chief physical therapist at the Philadelphia Naval Hospital. She owned and operated Squirrel Hill Physical Therapy for 30 years in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. During this time, she attended extensive training on methods for treating concussion. This included standard vestibular rehab and alternative methods. She has been teaching nasal release technique for healthcare pr pr practitioners around the world for three years. You can visit her website at conquerconcussion.com for more information. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you so much for being here. We are thrilled to have you. Thank you, Jen. Actually, I've been teaching longer than three years. It's been more like eight that. years. <laughs> eight years. That's I think old, that was that's an old bio. That's right. That's right. I was going too much experience. That doesn't. No, no. This is an exceptionally experience. It's beyond PT because the course. I was like, okay, so we're gonna talk about it, but then went on to like most people don't bring up the vestibular. Most people don't examine the eye on the, the tracking to see where the strain is in order to address the nose. You know, that's that's going to that whole world of rhinometry where it's not just the nasal, it's the posture. It's not just the posture, you gotta look up, it's the eyes. So it's all connected. And, and then she went on to the lymphatics, the partial releases. So I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. So I really appreciate your course, but let's get on and understand, well, what is nasal release? Yes. Yeah, so, and why is it involved with trauma? You know, like you talked about the blast wave. I right. couldn't believe that one. Yeah. Nasal release technique is a chiropractic technique. I discovered it when I was taking a class out West. It was originally taught uh, at Western States Chiropractic College by a guy by the name of, name of J.R. Stober. Um, he really was the person that put, put it together and really made it doable. And um, so I, I learned it from a chiropractor that was trained at Western States, and that was about 10 years ago. So I've been doing this procedure for 10 years. Uh, essentially, it uses a mechanical device called uh, a blood pressure bulb with a finger caught attached to it. You insert it in between the turbinates of the nose, you inflate it. And miraculously, it moves the bones of the skull. And it really does a whole lot for the three things that it does a whole lot for are sinus problems, post-concussion syndrome, 
and headaches. There's a lot of other things it helps too, but those are the primary things that are amazingly helped. Yeah, I was looking at the list and going headaches, dizziness, vertigo, uh, fatigue, sleep disturbance, irritability, visual disturbances, depression. I'm going, wait a minute, that's also coincides with TMD and TMD and, and sleep cervical and compression of oxyputin C1. Like, and now we're addressing it in the nasal. And you showed us through the inferior turbinates, then the middle turbinates, and then the superior area, because there's different entrances and angling that you have to understand. But I'm still shocked with the concussion. Can you tell us more about that? Well, I mean, there's different kinds of concussions and there are phenotypes to concussion that cause different kinds of symptoms. There's ocular, there's an ocular motor concussion that people can uh, have problems with eye tracking, but then people also have ones where they have cognitive problems. They have uh, concussions that cause um, anxiety and depression. Uh, there, so concussion can be caused not only by hitting your head, but it can also be caused by blast wave injury. And that's what is happening to our military guys is they're messing up their brains by blast wave injuries. The treatment for that is a little bit different than treating a, you know, a football player. You've got to really address their problem early on because it, this blast wave injury, acoustic wave coming into the head at the speed of sound causes diffuse damage of the brain. And if we don't help that early on, it may form a major inflammatory response in the brain, which leads to a lot of damage. Can we but go back a blast? little bit though? Yeah. The, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, no, it's just release, like right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> go back to basics. <laughs> we need to kind of go back because we got you know an audience that's listening. We both, Martha, Martha and I. I took your class seven years ago, and it's really transformed the way I treat concussion patients. And I, I, I me and Cindy and I um, have been kind of collaborating, and I will call her with problems. Um, not sure if I can do the nasal release with certain people that have nasal surgeries and we'll just go back and forth. And she's been wonderful, really supporting me while I learned this about seven years ago. Um, so, but let, let's, for the, for the sake of the audience, I just want to go back and, and have, have people quite just understand the nasal release technique it's in the world of like osteopathic manual medicine, right? It's like yes. there's there's the bones of the skull and chiropractics and chiropractic, of course. Um, but the bones of the skull should move. They should move as we are living beings. Subtly move. Subtly. And they, they should expand have and contract. And expiration right? and contracting and, and con yes, and expand. The only people that don't move are people that, that are deceased. Their, yes, their, their heads right. are stiff, right? Yes. There are collagen fibers, there's vascularizations to the sutures, and there's fluid movement. So in that case, um, can you, the way I explain it to people, and tell me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, when you feel this with patients going to do it for the first time, they're really a little anxious, and they're, they have all these symptoms that you mentioned. Um, but the way I explain it is that you, you put the finger cut in and it will expand in the nasal cavity, allowing any, any area that absorbed that 
blow to the head if it's concussion, and it will push against those bones where they absorbed it and maybe stiffened the skull. Is that correct? Yes. And the different insertions, um, and I can show you that right now. We, I do a lower insertion, which is along the floor of the nose. That one gets the uh, maxillary and palatine suture, which is um, on the roof of the mouth. And then obviously we know that the maxilla and the palatine articulate with a bunch of bones. So we indirectly move the bones that it art articulates with. The, the second insertion is done at a 45 degree angle like that on both sides. That gets the zygoma sutures, which are, is the cheekbone here. Mm -hmm. And then the zygoma out of the uh, only uh, articulates with four bones, but it indirectly moves those bones when you do the second insertion. The third insertion is the one that gets a bone that nobody has ever generationally or themselves, it's never been moved. So a lot of stuff stays up into this jamming of this bone. That is the sphenoid, which looks like a butterfly and it's where the pituitary sits. And it's uh, the cornerstone bone of the eyeball, which is yellow in here. And it has five of the six extraocular muscles attaching to it. The eyeball to the apex of the sphenoid. The maxilla has one extraocular muscle attaching to it. So this bone is, when we do this insertion, you go up as far as you can and then up above the second turbinate with it. And that gets that, the sutures of the sphenoid, which is very circuitous, moving. And I'll tell you what, amazing things happen after you do the sphenoid because you're, you're changing the way that person's eyes track. And I've also seen hormonal changes from it. It's, it's just truly an amazing procedure. So the, the balloon, when it goes in and it expands, you want it to go down to the throat, correct? Yes. yes. So it's going to travel from the nasal cavity as you pump two or three or four times and either with one or more finger cuts, depending on what you want, right. you want it to travel down. If it doesn't travel down, what does that mean? It means that you haven't really pushed the, the, the palatine bone down. J.R. Stober actually said that the palatine was the break. Um, and that's part of the reason why the suck reflex has to be so good after birth, because that when a, a baby sucks very strongly, it helps for the repositioning the palatine bone. So if that's the case, you continue doing it with more pressure or more pumps yes. until it goes down. You never right? back off on pumps or pressure. You always add more. And then once it does go down the throat in all the positions, which there are eight positions, lower, middle, upper, and then back down to the lower position. Once you, you do that, you have to add another balloon on but you never back down on the inflations you add another inflation every time the person comes in to see you wonderful and so you know people ask me well how long does it take how many sessions you know and it i can't ever say i i say de definitively because you everybody's different everybody has a different concussion a different injury what do you normally tell people it it, it takes five minutes to do the procedure and it, it, i usually get people better by five treatments. It's pretty amazing. And that all came about it. Uh, when I, my work has evolved from the time when I started doing it, I've added more things of, 
from my understanding, like I now have an exam that determines eye restriction. And then I look at how the neck affects the eye restriction and how the jaw affects the eye restriction. So the patient can see when I examine them that, oh, wow, I have a hard time taking my eye up there. And then after the treatment, they can do it. it the restriction goes away. So, it, so it, therefore, if they have, you know, the way I say it, and Martha, you can correct me too. Um, if they are standing against a wall and you're testing their eyes, and you have them follow your finger up and down, right and left, and the diagonal up and down. And right the head and has to stay still. Still. And I say, well, if you feel eye strain or eye pain, let's pick the one that's the most. Is that right? right? Yes. So, so, for example, I take them through this, the extraocular movements, which are up, down, right, left, diagonals, and then convergence. And I find usually in concussed people, they'll have more than one restricted movement, but they'll have one dominant one. I take the dominant restriction. I then look at the dominant restriction. Let's say, for example, Jen that, and Martha, it's looking up with your eyes. Mm -hmm. I then tell them to go, go through the neck movements, extend your head and look up with your eyes. Does that increase the restriction in the eye? And they say yes or no. Then I take do flexion. I do rotation and side bending. So once I've found the dominant neck position, I then have the person, let's say, for example, the dominant neck position was left rotation with eyes up. I then look at it in relation to the jaw. I have them open their mouth up as wide as they can, seeing if that increases the restriction. And then I have them, if it, if it doesn't, then I have them clench and see if clenching increases the restriction. So it's not only eyes. It's after the procedure, I, I see if the restrictions are cleared up. And they usually are. You saw it, Martha, in the class. Everybody's restriction cleared up in the class. Not a couple, not completely, but it, a couple completely. But it did made a difference. So it's really interesting because when I do TMJ or I do a tongue release, if I'm doing a fascial tongue release, whether you're a phrenectomy or Frenoplasty, especially frenoplasty, I'm looking to increase the range of motion from the neck. But doing complete frenoplasty and, and, and reduction and even muscle thinness. And so it was so interesting for it was just opening up here. It's not surgical. It's creating a space because I imagine it was stiff and the, even the, the collagen fibers were stiff. That's and right. you're giving it a movement, movement, movement. You have to understand that 80% of all the people that go through vestibular treatment with physical therapy after a concussion get better. Why they get better is because one of the treatments in vestibular management is eye strengthening exercises. If the eyes can be strengthened, it tends to help pull the muscles back into place. 20% of the people that are concussed do not get better with that. And they're the ones that end up floundering looking for other treatments. That's part of the reason why I discovered this thing. I would do cranial work and lymph work on my patients that would come to me with their post-concussion symptoms, as well as the vestibular things. And we still weren't getting everybody better. So when I discovered this procedure, uh, I found a gold mine of something that really is amazing for that 20% that don't get better.
It's been re remarkable in my practice. And, you know, I do cranial work too. I have, I work with a, a, a really great therapist that was certified through the Michigan State Osteopathic School. So she, she really would understand if the sphenoid was externally or internally rotated and stuck in one position and if that wasn't expanding there. And we would co-treat and I'd say, okay, feel the head. Let me do and do your, ana your analysis, your diagnosis of, of normally the sphenoid bone is out of place or, or not moving well in one quadrant. And then we would do the release and it would make a huge difference. She's like, oh my goodness. So I knew that you know, I think the combination of those two things with lymphatic drainage and vestibular therapy is just groundbreaking for this, this population. Now, let's talk about the research. There's not a lot of research. There's one article that was written by a group of chiropractors that was done for sinus problems. There's been nothing done for concussion. So let's tell let's tell the public about the research pro project that we're working on right it, now. It, this fell into my hands because I discovered this device uh, through a Dr. Deborah Zelinsky called Right Eye. Right Eye is a computerized system that has the ability to uh, for a patient to sit in front of their uh, this computer screen. It 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 hones in on the eye with a, a laser or whatever. I'm not sure exactly how the technology works, but it, 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 you then have the patient move their eyes in the extraocular movements, which are up, down, right, left, diagonals and convergence. And you can actually see a, 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 a graph, a graph. Yeah. of the way their eye tracking is. And, and, and it'll be skewed. It'll be, there'll be blips in it. Um, so it, it's a fabulous way of um, seeing the before and after effects of nasal release technique. So what we're doing is, is that we're, we're also, just, uh, we discovered that uh, many of these people that have had concussions also have breathing issues. They have, uh, you know, obstruct, obstructive breathing issues. And, and so what we're doing is, is that we're using a rhino manometer uh, in this study too. And so we're going to test airflow in the nostril. So we are going to pre-test with bright eye, pre-test with the rhino manometer. We're then going to do a very good treatment of nasal release technique in all eight positions, inflating it until the balloon goes into the nasopharynx. And, and then after the treatment, we are going to retest them with both devices to see number one, if, if uh, right eye is showing that is changing, it, eye tracking has changed. And then also with the rhino manometer to see if the, the uh, airway has opened up. And I, am I know for sure that the rhino manometer is going to show that there's more airflow. I'm praying and hoping, and I actually probably think it will show too that the eye tracking changes. Yeah. Because and, and we're putting the, bo the bones where the, the eye muscles attach back into, into the right position. Yeah, and the the right eye is research grade equipment. This is, oh, this yeah. is very expensive equipment um, uh, that will allow us to really write up a good um, statistical analysis of the results. So yes. um, we're really hoping that uh, it this, wonderful technique does what we think it does because it's gotten so many of our patients better um but the eye tracking and the nasal flow you know 
Martha and I are, are all about the nose and breathing through the nose. And um, I know that these concussion patients are all breathing patients because if you have a bad concussion, and this is what I learned from one of my mentors, Patrick McCowan, um, McEwen, if you are in a state of trauma for more than 24 hours, your breathing changes to that rate and that pattern. Wow, that's interesting. So if you are in a, a, a in a bad way because of a concussion, you end up rapidly breathing, sometimes changing to either chest or mouth breathing. And if it stays for longer than 24 hours, it's part of you. It's like how your body adapts, your brain adapts until you meet someone like us that can change that and really give you awareness of nose breathing, slow breathing, and that you are over breathing or hyperventilating. So I, we're, this study is going to be huge. And um, I think I'm it's just, going to be a game changer. I think we will succeed because of to the two of you with your powerhouses, we will succeed in getting this into the standard of care. Yeah. And there's so, there's so many, um, there's so many people suffering right now. So it's, it's they kill themselves over it. Uh, you know, I, I, what got me really interested in this being ex-military, I live right across the street from the military cemetery. When I see all these young guys dead over there, I, I, I get emotional. So when I, when I, 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 my goal is really to help the military guys uh, with this. We need to keep 35% of all the people on the, uh, that are homeless are military. And the second thing is they, 21 or two um, military guys kill themselves every day PTS, over PTSD, which, you know, remember, what is the standard of care for PTSD right now? Medication and psychotherapy. They think it, you know, they think it's an emotional problem. It's not. It is a morphologic problem in the brain caused by injury to the brain let's talk about that wave or, or hitting your head so explain to everybody like when you get a concussion what happens to the brain like well, there is like it's almost like a whiplash within the cavity of the skull. it's called a contra coup injury so think of it this way you put a hard-boiled egg in a bottle of water bennett omalu uh in the movie concussion showed this he put a hard-boiled egg in a bottle and he shook it he said when you hit your body or you hit your head this is what or you're in a car accident this is what happens to the brain it bumps up against the against the the, the, the rigid skull and as a result of that we get bleeding we get micro tears um, we get uh, blast wave is even worse because it goes in and it it damages the uh neural connections in the white and gray matter uh, so so it, after the it, the brain wants to stabilize itself after the concussion and so what it does is that in, just like what happens when you bump your elbow an inflammatory response happens which stabilizes the area and helps it to heal but unfortunately because in the concussion we tend to injure our lymphatic vessels which by the way were just discovered in 2015 we have lymphatic breast vessels in the in the brain but they're very delicate and when we injure those they do do not have the ability to reroute unless someone that is skilled in lymphatic work like i am knows how to help that and that can all be done with lymphatic drainage you can and that's why lymph work and i think also electromagnetic 
treatment is very important. That's the first thing that needs to be done after the injury. And obviously the person that's hit their head has to be checked out to make sure there is no fracture and that there's no, uh, you know, like bleeding or um, dangerous stuff going on. So um, that's not, unfortunately, people aren't getting early treatment. They tend to come two years later. <laughs> no, and they, and they also are not, you know, they, this technique, because it's not mainstream, it's not in, it, it's, it's not what the doctors are prescribing, really. They oh. don't, they give you vestibular therapy and rest at home in a dark room kind of thing. Am I wrong? Like, that's right. That's what it is. So it, it's, we are really trying to get this technique out so that people are, I've, I've treated a seven-year-old with this technique. Oh. I didn't do all eight insertions, but they had a concussion because of a, a, a soccer header, you know, and this is something that can really change the lives of so many young athletes so many how many how many never the standard of care they're not putting their hands on the patient the pts are just doing all this exercise unless the person has a cervicogenic concussion right. to their neck's hurting and then maybe they'll work on the neck a little bit right. but they're not they're not doing anything to reposition what's been knocked out of whack and they're also not doing anything to decrease the inflammation that has come as a result of the concussion. You also have to remember that concussion is cumulative. Every time you hit your head, you're jamming yourself even more. What, the, what is the first jam, Jen? The first jam is birth. We right. come through a small space, our head gets munched. And then as a toddler, we hit our head multitudinous times. And then we, we end up you know, going and playing sports and then we really do ourselves in. And these people are, you know, ending up with Alzheimer's and dementia from this. It's called CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Their brains shrink and they get huge holes in their brain. And it doesn't work very well anymore. Almost no. every NFL football player that has been examined by Ann McKee's brain bank, and there's a few other brain banks, Mayo has one, all of them, almost all of them have CTE. I'm talking like only a few don't. Right, right. That's how it was discovered. Bennett O'Malu saw it in, in an ex-stealer by the name of Mike, Mike Webster. Who really? everybody in Pittsburgh, I used to live in Pittsburgh before I moved to Annapolis. Everybody thought he was crazy. He wasn't crazy. He was brain damaged from playing football. They, they said that he, his... He was hit in the head so many times, it was like being in 25,000 car accidents. Oh my goodness. Tragic. He died of a heart attack when he was 50 years old. He didn't kill himself. He died of a heart attack. Now- A lot know, of guys have killed, a lot of football players have killed themselves over this. I've been reached out by um, a patient, and this was, this was a couple of years ago that they wanted their infant to have it done. Have you heard of yes. any anybody yes. doing that type of work? J.R. Stober, the originator of the technique, was known for doing infants. And, and that makes a whole lot of sense because you're correcting the cranial dysfunction after birth. Right. Which you have to remember, cranial dysfunction is you not only inherit your cranial makeup, the way your bones are put together, but but you also get it, it get, they get messed up in birth. 
And so you get a baby and you correct all that. That baby probably won't have a short leg then or a high pelvis or a T, you know, they'll be in better alignment in their life. You, right. A baby is malleable. You can put bones back into position and Absolutely. really help them. I never, I didn't end up doing it, but I called a few chiropractors that had a history of doing that technique to a baby. Have you done any infants? And the have youngest you I've done was six or seven. I never okay. would get, I never got babies in my practice. Okay. Um, could you tell um, the, everybody listening, what, what are the, the, the precautions that you don't want to do it if you have certain things. Let's uh, talk you don't about want that. to do somebody that has a bleeding disorder um, because it, every so often you have nosebleeds from this and you don't want to have to send them to the hospital. So you don't want to do a hemophiliac or even somebody that's on a whole lot of blood thinners. Although that, I think that would tend to clot and end, but in hemophilia, it could be very dangerous. You also want to take caution with people that have had a lot of surgery to their face and nose. That does not contraindicate the procedure. What you do with that is you just start gently and you ease the person into it. And then the other thing you want to be careful with is asthma. Uh, I've never seen an asthma attack after I've done the procedure, but it, I guess it probably could happen. So you want to make sure they have their inhaler. The, the, the other thing is you want to make sure your patient is also psychiatrically able to, to be able to take the procedure. So if you get a gut feeling that, they sh that for some reason you shouldn't be doing it on them, you should listen to that. Yeah, the, the, um, I, I just performed it on someone that had a, a hyperactive gag reflex, Martha. Oh, yeah. the, the, you know, the cranial nervous system's a little off and it went down the nose and it got caught. You know how, let's explain that because that's a yeah, scary yeah. feeling when you, maybe you have a malampati four where your airway's compromised, it's low, your soft palate's low in the, in the back of your throat. And you put the, the, the balloon goes down to the, the throat. And then it gets stuck. You press the, the the button to disengage and it gets stuck. Explain that and what you I, I can tell that through a patient that I, I had a professional soccer player came to me that was part of the 20% that didn't get better with the standard of care. He, he came in from Columbus, Ohio to see me in Pittsburgh. I did him for two days and I didn't, I couldn't get it to go down the throat and I couldn't figure out why. The person that taught me why was a, a neuromuscular dentist that I know, Alexander George. And she said, he has an overactive gag reflex. You're never going to get it to go down the throat. What happens is, is the gag kicks in and it, it, it pushes the balloon back out. So he had to leave my, you know, the treatment and, and he was so disappointed. But the story ends in a good way. He, he moved to California. He saw a colleague of mine named Adam Del Torto. Adam did the procedure and he did it. He must have inflated it so fast that this kid's gag didn't kick in what happened is the balloon went down it, it manipulated the bones but it got stuck because the gag kicked in so adam had to go into the mouth and break it in the in the mouth the person's not going to smother when that happens but it is a little disconcerting yeah and that that, that happens probably to maybe 10 percent of my patients that i do it to and i always warn them don't worry the balloon's going to feel like it's it's choking you in the throat. I will pop it if it doesn't come out naturally. Right. And, you know, if it doesn't come out on its own, so don't panic. So it's really teaching those 
those those few things that that may happen and then it's a little bit of a, a pain in the butt because you got to redo there was one yeah. time i had to redo it eight times because I, yes. he was convinced he he wanted the procedure he didn't care that it kept getting stuck he was getting the release but it, it sometimes it's the airway sometimes right. it's just like it's too that's compromised right. that's right and and sometimes i will squeeze it to stretch the airway and to open up the airway yes. and hold it a little bit longer while it's probably I'm in actually there. a good thing that it yeah. goes down in somebody that has a compromised airway because you are stretching the, the soft tissue back there and, and hope, hopefully opening it up a bit. Yeah. Martha, do you have any last questions for, for Cynthia? I know you just took the course, so it, it's maybe tell everybody what the course was like. And if they if there's any practitioners that want to learn from Cynthia, um, you know, it's well, the tell them, tell Tell them what that was I like. I liked that it was online. I didn't have to go anywhere again. It was online. That's right. Online. I think that's a wonderful thing. And then uh, Cynthia was actually, Cindy, as we call her, was actually able, we would look, we would do the eye strains. We would stand up and she was able to individually be able to examine what we were doing with the strains. So as a person who's going to do it, learn it, then we were also addressing our strains so that by the end of the session each of us were actually feeling better and then that she directed it really well so that we didn't have that that feeling like are we going to suffocate ourselves because here's you're, you're putting a ball first a, a toothpick then a ball and then you're going in directions that you've never gone in your nose that far and it wasn't a big deal because cindy was actually very calm about it and she addressed each one of us as we were in the class. And it was actually quite wonderful. It was a really wonderful experience. I love online. I love that it was directed to each one of us. It wasn't like a full class and we all do it together. It's like, no, each one of us were the strains. And even the one who had the one with the mouth that had a, this, the range of motion, the neck, and then the mouth, TMJ, then the clench. So they had a combination strain, TMJ and neck. That was amazing. It was powerful like, to see it correct. Yes, and I'm going, okay, sleep apnea doesn't breathe well, but look at what you can start with first. Right. Every child before they have orthodontics or anybody that's going to have maxillofacial surgery should have the procedure done on them just so they have no jamming in the skull. I mean, you stabilize, uh, put a splint in or you put bars in to move the mandible, you're going to fixate the cranial dysfunction no, automatically what is that going to lead to yeah yes yes yeah, yeah, are really like we only like the alf is currently correct right but most appliances do fixate but then they eventually if they're doing expanders then they eventually allow Expand. the band to open up because you're now stretching the sutures and then c1 c2 then you're going to see seven c the lumbar four and it's but my yeah. question martha does it get the sphenoid when you put the expanders in probably not it's probably Never. just doing the maxilla and Never. the because it's yeah. always been my discussion with our pts and osteopaths it's like well the sphenoid has that funny tort side bend right with because the ear is up and the temporal plate is up and that ear is externally rotated because you see less of it and i'm going how are you going to get the sphenoid <laughs> that's always been a question and now now the question is like how are we going to get them to breathe and get the sphenoid <laughs> yeah. well we got an answer oh, uh, we have. 
And, <laughs> and the sphenoid has all the cranial nerves. Absolutely. So if it's side bend torsioned, now side bend, now all those nerves have all the symptomology and even numbness. I've had people come in with numbness in the palate. Doctors, they go, what do I do? I go, you don't get operations, you don't take medication, and we work on opening up that maxilla. And all I could think of is what else could I should be should I be doing for them now? And I'm thinking, yeah. ooh, nasal and, and yeah. Now you have another modality. I like the modality. <laughs> I, I am genuinely liking it. Yes. Um yeah. So Mom, Cindy, where can people, where, A, where can people find out how to sign up for your course or information? Concussion.com is the name of my website. Can you say and that again and spell it? C-O-N-Q-U-E-R, conquer, concussion, C-O-N-C-U-S-S-I-O-N.com. And you go in there and there's a place that you can uh, do a form that fill out and it'll come to me and then I call you or I you know, you sign up. For the Wonderful. Class. And then, you know, I'm doing this in Chicago um, and, you know, around Chicago and Glenview and in Lincoln Park and downtown. Martha, you're going to be doing it in New York, uh, New York City. And I know Brad Gilden does it as well with his staff in New York City. But is there is there a list of, of practitioners? Of find yes, a, on find my a website, there's a list, list of uh, I have combined my people that I train with other lists like Adam's list, other people that have trained people in it. So yes, I have a pretty extensive list of people that do it on my website. Wonderful. So if anybody's interested, please go visit conquerconcussion.com. Cynthia, Cindy, um, is there I, any I last? I just want to say I always provide support. That's part of, if you take my class, I'm always there for you to answer questions. I always ask um, our interviewees, you know, if there's one thing to stay healthy, you know, from your experience in life, what is the one thing that you can tell the public? How how can you how can you best be healthy and stay healthy in your life? Well, is I think I think breathing is very important, and you know, and good nutrition yeah. and exercise and exercise, right? <laughs> right, you got and, it. And also being happy. You know, yeah. trying to do things that make you happy. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. And we would love to have you again sometime, uh, I'd love Cindy. To, I'd love to. I, I think it would be great to do this again after we do our case study. Yeah, let's do it. Report what, what we've come up with. I yeah. like that. That is excellent. Wonderful. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you, Martha and Jen. You. Love you. Thank you so much. Love Take you care. too. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Breathing Lab with Dr. Jenny. 